Hello, welcome back to the Selfless Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepetabai, joined as I always am by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Can't complain. It's very windy at my house right now. So if you hear the room rattling in the background, dear listener, just know that there's nothing I can do about that. It's the elements taking their toll on this hundred-year-old building. Perhaps the basketball gods are up to something because here in Mexico City, it is also windy. Not much is going on. I'm kind of bored. Wow. I mean, that this is not basketball podcast chatter, but that snowstorm that just hit stretched from the Yucatan to New England. So maybe, yeah, maybe the basketball gods are up to something. Uh, speaking of basketball gods, we spoke, spoke to a basketball demigod of sorts yesterday on a special edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, you should make sure that you have that downloaded and ready for your next podcast session. We had Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype come on and he talked about all the latest trade buzz and rumors related to the Celtics. So uh, you're going to want to check that out, but not until after you listen to all the wonderful things we have to say on this edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. We will do the news. We'll kind of break down. There's some major injuries, some trade buzz, some things related to um, new fathers or new children in the Celtics families. And then what we're going to do in the Celtics lab is we are going to talk about who we think might sell or who we think ought to sell at the trade deadline, which as you're listening to this is about three weeks out. So that's the agenda for today. So let's start with the news. Big loss to Philly, the Celtics. If you didn't listen to our last podcast, that might be news to you. They had an ugly win against the the Bulls and a very bizarre win against the Pelicans. Justin, anything we missed yesterday on the pod or anything from that Pelicans game that jumps off the page? Well, you know, it is nice to see them closing out games finally in games they really had been losing quite often in the first half of the season. But I mean, other than the fact that, you know, Aaron Neesmith really seemed to shake them awake there wasn't much we haven't seen in lots of other games this season. So, And he might have injured his ankle on that play. Alex, what about you? What did you see? I mean, the big thing that stands out is that Jason Tatum is really, 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 really good at basketball when he needs to be. And, you know, in watching kind of the highlights of the Pelicans game, uh, there was just nobody on the floor capable of guarding him. I, I really think it, it, it Ime Adoka made some comments after the game that I thought were pretty interesting about Brad Stevens uh, having like 10 phone calls after the game mm-hmm. about the trade market and what the Celtics are going to be doing on trade market day, uh, you know, when that comes in three weeks or so. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the Celtics as possible sellers and deservedly so. I think their start to the season has been largely disappointing. But for better or worse, the Celtics are above 500 and the Eastern Conference standings are really tight. I don't know. I kind of feel like there's a reasonable case to be made that the Celtics should actually be looking to buy more than that they should be looking to sell heading into the deadline. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are really good. So is Robert Williams. I feel like you can get a good core around this team with a few moves on the fringes. That's a perfect tease for kind of what we'll talk about today and where we're going is that the East is reasonably wide open and maybe the Celtics, certainly the eye test (laughs) makes me want to blow it all up. But if you look at some of the most important metrics, they have a top 10 fourth quarter score in Jason Tatum. They get to the free throw line as best as anyone else. They play defense 
as, as well as anyone else. Like they have things that make you really interested in what this team is capable of. Least of which if Dennis Schroeder can play like that, which he's probably out the door for tax reasons, which we've talked about on many iterations of this podcast. So maybe it, it doesn't really matter, but we've been waiting for that playmaking attacking point guard that makes the Jays better. And Dennis played like that against the Pelicans and the, for whatever it's worth, the Pelicans are a good, bad team. They're not nothing, but they're also not a good team. So let's not, <laughs> it's still January. Let's not freak out. Speaking of not freaking out, that seems to be what Brooklyn is doing about Kevin Durant's MCL injury. Kevin Durant oft injured, but always seems to recover. So best of luck, best of luck to Durant. That said, Irving, uh, friend of the podcast, Kyrie Irving, reiterated that he will not be getting vaccinated, and he he had said some stupid crap about why. And that's not that team suddenly does not look like a beast. So. First of all, again, this reiterates the idea that the the East is a little wide open, but it's still probably a little lonely at the top with the Bucks, the Bulls, and the Heat. Before we talk about the middle class and what the Celtics might do, do either of you seeing the Bulls, the Bucks, or the Heat putting their foot on the gas because the Nets are so vulnerable right now? I certainly see the Chicago Bulls doing that. And I think that comes down in large part to the fact that they can't really afford to waste what is basically a career season from DeMar DeRozan. Um, I think that it's reasonable to expect that while DeRozan is, it looks like that contract is actually going to be a lot better than I thought it was in the offseason. And I am pretty optimistic that DeRozan will continue to age as a quality player. That being said, I, I do think this is the best DeMar DeRozan that they're going to get. And I would be very surprised if the Bulls don't make an all-in type of move to try and win the Eastern Conference this year. Levine didn't sign an extension, right? No, he didn't. And I think a big part of why they might make that move is with the intention of really sealing the deal on selling Zach Levine as a longtime piece for this franchise. Sure. Justin, what do you see happening at the top of the East? Well, I'm not so sure that the, the the Bulls are going to just because they're they're pretty banged up and maybe this is their year. I can see you could you could talk me into the logic of that, but for me, it makes the the Bucks and the Heat much more likely to be buyers. And those two teams in particular, I think, really stand out as as teams that could make some aggressive moves at the trade deadline, just trying to get better in light of. I won't say that they look vulnerable, but they look older and more I don't want to say rickety but okay I guess I will say vulnerable for (laughs) such a behemoth I guess that is an appropriate word they're never healthy for very long and all it takes is exactly what happened last year and it does have to be said also that there are some murmurs coming up that James Harden might not be in Brooklyn's long-term plans. If that's the case, that definitely makes a strong argument for Brooklyn going all in while they still have Harden under contract. I mean, I just, I don't know what Brooklyn has to sell. I don't really know what the Bulls have to sell. I also feel that way about the, yes, Justin? Claxton, Nick Claxton. They have Nick reporting Claxton. Yeah. That they yeah, might I heard that be into moving off of him. And the Bulls also have, I mean, if they're really willing to go for it, Patrick Williams is an intriguing young piece that could really help a team. I think that guy's going to be good. But if the Bulls really want to go all in, he might be, he might be a guy they're looking at. It's too early in the season to know what the buyout market looks like, but it also occurs to me that 
Brooklyn, maybe not Chicago, but definitely Miami and definitely uh, Milwaukee will be massive players in that. And I think that the Heat, if if I, we haven't heard anything because that's how the Heat operate, if they wanted to, I think that they have the package to kind of blow most teams out of the water. And at the very least, they have Oladipo coming back. So I'm, I, we said in the early fall, Miami is the team that's secretly very, very scary in the East. And I don't think that's changed at all. But uh, moving away from the top of the East, unless again, Miami just like hops in and blows up the Miles Turner situation. Let's talk about the Miles Turner situation. Uh, reporting today that he, I don't think it's reporting. I think it's just known that he has a stress reaction in his foot, I believe. And so he's going to be sidelined past the deadline. Is that right, Justin? Should be, yeah. Four to six weeks, I think they said they're going to reevaluate. I mean, no, it was two weeks they're going to reevaluate. Excuse me. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Scotto yesterday told us that he thinks that they would want the Pacers would at least two first round picks for Turner, which conceivably for an all defensive player on a team friendly contract is understandable. But now teams are going to want to do their due diligence. I mean, the ball ball situation is a unique one, but sometimes trades. I mean, look at what happened with Isaiah Thomas, like trading for an injured or an oft injured player is dangerous. So I have made my feelings on Miles Turner perfectly clear on this wonderful podcast. Do either of you see teams lining up to trade for Turner or is he now an asset that you really want to stay away from? Well, I think, you know, I know that we said we were going to try and move away from the heavy hitters at the top of the East, but I have seen some murmurs about the Brooklyn Nets being interested in trading for Miles Turner. And I think that that would actually make a lot of sense if you go to Indy and say, listen, we're trying to accelerate the timeline. The missing piece that we're looking for with this Nets team is a true front court stopper. We'll give you, say, Nick Claxton and a first round pick for Miles Turner. I think that that probably would be fine with Brooklyn. I'm not sure Indy would take that. They might need a little bit more, but um, I think that that's pretty much in the ballpark for a Brooklyn Nets or frankly for any one of these kind of pseudo contending teams that feel like they need an upgraded center to compete with the Embiid's or the uh, Jokic's of the world. You know, I don't know that the Lakers have a whole lot to trade, but they could certainly be a team that looks at Miles, the Bucks, I think as well, given that Brooke Lopez is in a little bit of a dicey place, might be looking at Miles Turner. I think he has a reasonable market just for all of the stuff that you just said. At the end of the day, he's young, he's on a good contract. And when he's on the floor, he's a pretty darn good player. Now, I think that the Celtics making a move for Miles Turner would be kind of silly given that they already have Rob on the roster. But there's a number of teams that I think could credibly use his services and would be willing to meet Indy somewhere in the middle. I'm not sure that they would give up two good first round picks, but I think a lot of these teams could talk themselves into a first round pick, a young player and something else. There is a very interesting player who could be in the mix. There hasn't been a direct connection made between these two uh, in any official reporting, but I believe Eric Pincus was the first to suggest that old friend Gordon Hayward would be a potential target or swap target for that uh, kind of a deal with uh, Hayward perhaps expendable with some of the development they've seen from some of the younger players on their roster. Uh, and they are definitely looking for an upgraded center. So Miles Turner would probably suit that to a T. I mean, Man, Miles Turner and LaMelo Ball pick and roll is a fun thing to think about. I think also part of the problem, Alex, for some of the teams at the top is 
17 and a half million, whatever it is for Turner is team friendly, but that's not easy for a bloated salary cap to just come on in. I mean, it's one thing if you're willing to pay the tax, but you have to make a fit. So yeah, that, that could be a challenge. I really like the Hornets one. And I also, I'm interested in the trade deadline because the summer isn't a great free agency class and that could get even worse with a few extensions, like if Harden does resign and things like that. And so then you have teams like the Pacers exercising, I forget who coined the term pre-agency, which is, you know, we don't compete on the open market, but we can start to build our team for next year at the deadline and with those maneuvers. And so I don't think the Pacers can make moves that suddenly, you know, they're knocking on uh, the number one seed's door, but I think that they could make some moves that look a lot more like an off season. And so, yeah. And they certainly, I mean, Chris Duarte, that guy is going to be good. They have enough good players on that team in Sabonis and Brogdon that it's feasible to think that they only need a few moves around the edges to at the very least get back into the Eastern conference playoff conversation. So I, I agree. I think they'll be pretty active. And they, for whatever it's worth, they didn't bring in Rick Carlisle to, fully tear it down and this is not a team that likes to fully tear it down so uh we get there's a few other names out there that probably will come up again when we talk about who's selling players like Karis Lavert or Eric Gordon um Nick Claxton again or De'Aaron Sharp any of those players you want to talk about right now or should we save them for the lab portion I do want to briefly touch on Eric Gordon, who it's in an interesting place where Eric Gordon is putting up some pretty good numbers in Houston. uh, And I think there's a lot of contending teams that would like to take a flyer on a player like Eric Gordon. I have to say, though, I would be a little bit worried if I'm a potential Eric Gordon buyer, just for the sheer fact that I don't feel like putting up numbers on the Houston Rockets is a particularly meaningful exercise this year. That team is not good at all. And they have a lot of dudes that put up decent numbers, but they can't win because they don't play defense and they don't have any sort of like reasonable system in place to get those wins. Now I get it. They're a really young team and young teams find it hard to win in the NBA. But if there's a guy that I'm looking at that I think might come up with an offer that looks pretty one-sided at the trade deadline where a team gives up too much for a guy who subsequently does not perform that well, Eric Gordon would be my prime candidate for that role. So I actually want to talk about a guy. There are these people who I know who are big fans of trading for Buddy Heald. And I, I kind of see the fit. I, I like the idea, you know, the, 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 the rudiments of something that the Celtics need are definitely present. But for me, I'm kind of also worried about that sort of a thing. Uh, he's a little older. Uh, he's on a not so great team. I don't know that he would be on a great team with the Celtics either, but maybe the synergy might make them one. However, to get a north of 40% shooter on the team, Bryn Forbes is the guy I think I would be looking to just cool. because it's a, probably a second round pick and a young prospect, like maybe Romeo Langford at the very most would be what they would be looking for. Just so they have somebody who can shoot a little bit and do some stuff on the roster, keep that moving forward as they continue to build that team back up. So. Wow. Interesting. I kind of talked myself into Robert Covington the other day, driving home from work and I'm over, I'm over it, but no, no. <laughs> so no, he's washed. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so let's bring it back to the Celtics because this is the Celtics lab podcast. And there are a few players on the team that continue to impress or continue to be big question marks. I mean, at this point, I think everyone knows that Robert Williams 
when he's on the court, he is unbelievable. And I, I think, I think increasingly he's able to stay on the court. He's missed time here and there this season, but some of it's been personal reasons or COVID. Anything we need to say about the Time Lord right now? I mean, congratulations on the um, the birth of Hendricks. Hendricks Rome Williams, unbelievable name. Great. Although name. Robert Williams the fourth was out there, and mm. that'd be kind of cool. Anyways, uh, anything on the Time Lord that hasn't been said? Just this. the only thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> two, two more games before he misses that bonus. Oh, I know. Don't listen to me. That's next season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, it's just like have... next season he could only miss two more games but that doesn't happen until it kicks in so no more kids no more kids Rob um what I will say about Robert Williams is that as the season has progressed I think it's become increasingly less likely that Brad Stevens and the Celtics are interested in moving on from Robert Williams um I would be absolutely stunned if he's in any action at the trade deadline given how well he's played and how integral he's become for the Celtics front court um the only scenario where I could see Rob being moved is for a as part of a blockbuster deal for an established star one which I really don't think is out there for the Celtics at the deadline now maybe Ben Simmons but I, I don't, I just don't see it, not at the deadline. And I, I would be frankly surprised if Philly trades Ben Simmons to the Celtics in the first place, just given the kind of Eastern Conference rivalry that they're going up against. I would be pretty surprised. So I'm, I'm saying that Rob is going to make it through the Celtics trade deadline almost for sure. Uh, Woj agrees with you. And I'll just say it occurs to me that we just spent five seasons saying the Celtics are so close, but they really need a, a center at the at the five spot, like a pure five spot to get them over the hump. And now they finally have like a premier center on like an unbelievable contract and they need a whole bunch of other stuff. So anyways, uh, yeah, Woj agrees with you, Alex. He said today as such, or yesterday rather, that the Celtics are not looking to trade Robert Williams. But then he said the young guys and Marcus Smart, uh, Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder are available. And maybe that's what those 10 phone calls that Brad got during the game are all about. Alex, you really believe that this stretch underscores how much this team needs smart. Tell us more about that. And if it would be a mistake to trade them. Well, I think you can just kind of see it with their on the floor product. Now I want to give Schroeder some credit. I've definitely been kind of maligning him on the pod as of late. And I want to give him some credit. He played really well last night. I I don't think that we should take too much stock in beating up on the Pelicans who are a truly miserable team at this juncture. I feel like Uh, maybe I disagree with you there, Cam, but um, I think that, you know, what, particularly in looking in the game against Philly in the lost, uh, we had a couple of losses. I mean, the Celtics have actually played pretty well lately, five of six, but we've had a couple of losses uh, where Smart has been out, where the team has just looked totally disjointed. uh, Like they really don't have much of a plan in offense other than give the ball to Tatum and hope he figures it out. Smart, I think, is an important player for this team in terms of making the extra pass or uh, just kind of getting into the post and giving them a safety release valve if a play breaks down. I think those are really valuable things for this offense. And, you know, it has to be said over and over again, like, and I don't know why it is exactly that he keeps on getting overlooked, but Marcus Smart is to this day continues to be one of the premier defensive players 
in the NBA. I mean, he is just an outright crazy perimeter defender. If you look at the advanced numbers, if you look at uh, kind of how players fare when he's pressuring them, he is a truly phenomenal defensive piece. I, I have to say, I am probably a little more open to at least hearing out what there is for Marcus Smart uh, than I have been in the past, just because of the way this season has gone and the fact that Marcus is realistically one of our most tradable players. But I really don't think that there would be a lot of offers that would replicate his value out there. So for me, I'd, I'd have to be blown away to be comfortable trading him. And I think that the Celtics front office largely feels the same. I know that Woj talked about today about how Marcus Smart's trade uh, value is kind of being floated out there for other teams. But here's the thing, man. Marcus Smart's trade value is floated out every year. It's been the case basically since he was a Celtic that the Seas have been testing the waters as to who wants Marcus Smart and what are they going to get back. And every year, it seems like the answer to that question is not enough to justify trading Marcus Smart. So I don't know. I think I'm pretty much in the same place that I have been. Justin, have your thoughts on Smart changed at all? Not really. He's he's super important to the Celtics to the point where the trade value you would get back for him may not always match what the Celtics would need to replace him. So anything that has him going out that doesn't have at least someone as competent as a, as a floor general coming back is really basically a signal that they, they are not doing much with this season. They're basically punting on the season for a future development. That said, I don't think that he ends up being moved this season. I think that Richardson is a larger, similarly sized chunk of salary that will end up going out if they do make a big move, probably with one of the younger guys. But there is a possibility if the right guy becomes available. I just don't see who that would be because there's not too many people like that around the league that at least now are being mentioned even remotely as, as a potential trade candidate. Yeah, I think I agree very much so. I mean, I want the Celtics to do an addition by subtraction move because as we've said a bunch, there's too many guys who need touches and there's just not enough touches in a basketball game. And Smart, maybe more than most, is a victim of that because I think he really needs, he's a rhythm player and and an emotional player. So he needs to feel like he's engaged and appropriately engaged. That said, First of all, I think that he is closer to a crown jewel and a bigger trade than Josh Richardson or Dennis Schroeder, who are still working back their value. I mean, they have nice games for Boston, but I don't think they have great trade value. They might have salary filler, but I don't know that they're the pieces that you go and get a, a third or fourth star. Um, and I do think it's worth mentioning that Brad Stevens does have an ethos of let's field a competitive, interesting team. And saying goodbye to Richardson and Neesmith might be a bummer, but it's not nearly as much of a bummer as saying goodbye to smart and there's similar white flags. Right. So I, for all of those reasons, don't want the Celtics to trade Marcus smart. And I don't think that they will trade Marcus smart. Um, Alex, you made a good point that the Celtics sometimes look very lost without our friend Marcus smart, almost as lost as the Patriots looked uh, against the bills this weekend, because uh, they didn't have Marcus Smart either. So that's probably why they didn't Certainly. look good. And apologies to anyone who had a little bit of money on that game ah, in brutal. favor of <laughs> the Patriots. <laughs> but I do hope that you made that bet on betonline.ag, the presenting sponsor of our podcast. 
BetOnline.ag is the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. To celebrate the new year, they've rolled out a new updated desktop and mobile website. Use the promo code CLN, CLNS50. That one always trips me up. CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you sign up right now. From football and basketball to UFC and your favorite casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers for 2022. Alex, betonline.ag has your Titans as 3.5 point favorites this weekend against the Bengals. What do you think? Disrespectful. I think that that line should be higher. The Titans have been excellent all year against playoff caliber teams in the AFC. They are nearly completely healthy with Derrick Henry, the literal best running back of the planet coming back. I think that this line should be higher. So I am saying Titans, if you are listening to this podcast, bet on my Titans. I think that they are going to win. I'm going to furiously knock on wood right now. No, you heard that just to make sure that uh, you know exactly what I'm doing and uh, make the right choice. And listen, I won $200 betting on sports last weekend. So I would say rock with the Titans. That line should be higher. I will. I don't have it in front of me. I think the line was uh, the over under was 47 when I looked. And so it, our friends at betonline.ag think it's going to be an exciting game or at least not a good game for fans of defense. Remember, betonline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to wager all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. So let's hop into the Celtics lab. Let's continue our conversation about what the Celtics might be up to at the trade deadline and then who else might be buying and who else might be selling. So to reiterate, Woj said pretty much everyone but the Jays and Robert Williams are not being shopped. He didn't say Horford, but I kind of assume it's because this contract is too big, not because they desperately want to hold on to him, but I don't. Oh, Justin. There, there may be a market for Horford's contract as well as services because he's in the unique position of realistically really being able to help a, a team that's trying to compete, but also might be looking to shed salary in the near-term future without light guarantee on his next season's salary. I mean, where else can you find a, a potential starting center who you only have to pay his full salary next year if you win the NBA Finals? Would it be illegal if they traded him for John Wall uh, and then brought him back after a buyout? I don't think so, but I would have to check. Okay. I mean, I don't want to pay John Wall. I, salary, I, yeah, but... no. Cam, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you putting that into the universe? And, you know, for what it's worth, I do think that there is something to the idea that Horford is still recovering from his bout with COVID. It he might said, be. Yeah. Yeah, it might be worth keeping him around just to see if that continues to trend up because Al Al was really good at the beginning of the season before he got COVID and then has subsequently struggled since. So we'll see. He said he was fine today with COVID. Yeah, I mean. But he always tapers off in the middle of the season and picks it back up at the end. And for what it's worth, I mean, it's not a linear thing recovering from COVID. So whether or not the Jays or Horford or whomever start every presser with, hey, my brain is still foggy. Everyone listening to this podcast knows someone for whom they're not right still. So unfortunately, not just Celtics players, but any professional athlete, if they're looking not their best, you have to give them a little bit more grace. How fun is that? Anyways, so we think, I think we think the Celtics are sellers insofar as they want to get under that tax, right? They're, Justin, do you have the number off the top of your head? It's like, a few uh, it's just over the salary of Dennis Schroeder. It's like 5.9 or maybe six. I can't remember. I mean, as uh, 
Brian Berners only said when he was on the pod recently, everybody has their own accounting and it's yeah. all with a few million, but it's definitely over and not egregiously so. So, so we suspect they will be sellers insofar as Juancho and or Schroeder and or another piece here or there, hopefully <laughs> freedom, just to, to dip the tax. A, any reason that you think, either of you think that, no, actually they're going to be willing to pay the tax and give me a reason, or B, they're actually going to sell more than just dipping the tax? Yeah, if they can get a premium asset, like a, um, a solid, like a middle to above first round pick, middle, middle of the, the draft first round, um, or a really good player who makes a lot of money that fits into one of the TPEs, even if they can't get rid of the salary that's, that, that will cause the problem of creating to dip under the salary cap, then I think they will go for it. They, they will have to do some juggling later on down the road. And if, but if they think that it will improve the team significantly and the, the, the possibility is there, I think they will go for it. But again, you have to have that, that situation. And at present, we aren't getting any real chatter of anything that sounds like that. So for now, I do think that the idea that they will move under the tax is probably the right idea. I think the only scenario where they wouldn't move under the tax and where the scenario that you just laid out occurs uh, or doesn't occur rather is if the Celtics have inside information or at least some word that there is a package of assets out there that can net them that big star in the summer that's worth going into the tax for. So if they have feelers out to the front offices of like, I don't know, a Minnesota or a Washington, that uh, one of their star players is potentially going to be on the move in the summer, there is a scenario where the Celtics basically try and load up at the deadline with players that those teams might want and in doing so wind up in the tax, but that would be it. I mean, that's an argument for Buddy Heald as far as I'm concerned is Buddy Heald and Rob Williams and picks is salary and spicy enough to, to probably lure a star as good as anyone else could. Um, But it would take a bit of maneuvering to get there. I mean, I anticipate them doing something boring i bet dennis unfortunately is on his way out although maybe not maybe he plays his way depending on how long smart remains out for um Juancho, i don't know why he's still on the team in the first place <laughs> maybe injury assurance just in case i liked Juancho the signing but i think he's a good locker room guy by I, all accounts udoka clearly didn't like the signing unguaranteed seven million dollar salary next season is why he's on the team Right. So, no, I mean, still on the team. Why they haven't traded him to put this tax thing? Oh, no, yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, so I suspect that they will be light sellers. I don't think that there's any reason for them to not go to the play-in tournament and mess around. I also don't know that there is a move out there that takes them into a team, into the conference final conversation uh, necessarily. However, as we will discuss in just a moment, and we've said all season long, there's all these dominoes out there. There's all these teams that look itchy or look prime for imploding or exploding or some sort of ploding. And I think if these start to, to fall in the right way, Alex, to your point, if they think their summer plans are getting messed up or their summer 2023 plans are getting messed up, then they might hop in and, and go get Karis or, or something to shore up their own asset chest. Because I think the Celtics aren't going to be the ones to blink. And I don't, I think they're low on the list of teams that really need to make a move or seem like they need to make a move. But I think that if this becomes a busy deadline, 
we might see Boston hop in, if only to shore up its own asset defenses moving forward. Um, so that feels like a good table setter. Alex, we, we missed you yesterday. Any thoughts on the Jeff Green or the Jalen Smith rumors? Um, the Jeff Green rumor seems like it's a rumor that maybe was thrown out there with the intention of trying to steal Jeff Green for nothing, uh, something which Denver is not particularly interested in. So I would be pretty surprised if that happens. Uh, I think that it's not the value calculus is not quite there. Right. Denver clearly wants a real asset for Jeff Green. They think of him as a valuable player who they might even re-sign this summer. And it's hard to argue with that, given that he's been pretty important to keeping Denver afloat. Um, so they're going to want a real asset back. And uh, I just don't think that the Celtics are going to be a team that can really afford to give up a meaningful asset to go get Jeff Green. So that one, I'm, I'm not quite so sure about. I think that might be just Brad Stevens floating a name out there to kind of get things moving. Um, the Jalen Smith one, I am actually pretty interested in. So obviously there's some weird stuff going on there with Phoenix declining his rookie option, which is really weird and kind of unprecedented. Why would you want to give up effectively control of a potentially good top 10 draft pick young player for another year? Uh, and I mean, I guess the only answer I can think of is if Robert Sarver is trying to trim around the margins with the intention of re-signing DeAndre Ayton to a big deal as cheaply as possible. Um, but regardless, I do think Jalen Smith's availability is pretty interesting, uh, especially for a team like the Celtics that is kind of looking to thread the needle of getting good players who also fit the timeline of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think Jalen Smith is definitely a little raw and I don't really envision him as being like a true starting caliber center anytime soon. But I think as a small ball five plug and play four, he's got some interesting tools. He's not a bad shooter. He's really long. He's pretty bouncy. He definitely still is raw and needs to kind of learn the finer aspects of the game. But it, taking a flyer on Jalen Smith strikes me as a move that a, a number of smarter teams would be looking at if he's available. If there's some concern that they wouldn't be able to resign him because of the things you mentioned. But if you are going along the route that is the suggestion of Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report and that Schroeder would be the offer, Dennis Schroeder, because you aren't resigning him almost certainly either, then I could definitely see, like, I mean, even if he leaves, you, you really haven't lost anything you weren't going to lose anyway, other than maybe potentially a second rounder, which for the gamble, I think it's a pretty acceptable risk. And the, these rumors or the speculation fits into this paradigm that we've talked about a few times of hitting singles, which is something uh, Brad talked about to Jay King of The Athletic recently. He said, this is my Brad Stevens impression. And every decision that we make, the question we have to ask is, does this make sense? Is this one deal to do to give us the best chance to be in the mix to compete for a banner? That's it. That's the driving force in each one. So each deal would be its own separate entity in that. But at the same time, that's the North Star, which is a little bit of GM nothing speak, but it does tip Stephen's hands, which is a he's not, you know, gritting ear to ear saying like we're one big move away, nor is he closed lipped. I mean, I think he is thinking about tinkering. And so that's why we're not getting Bradley Beal and Carl Anthony Towns rumors. We're getting Jeff Green and Jalen Smith rumors. So before we really talk about the landscape of the NBA, who's selling and who's buying, I mean, again, this is a Celtics podcast. Let's 
quickly identify the things that we want the Celtics to shop for singles for. So what's a pain point for this Celtics team that tax mumbo jumbo, notwithstanding uh, hive mind, galaxy brain trying to get in line for Bradley Beal, notwithstanding what's something that between now and three weeks from now, the Celtics should prioritize and might go out and hit a single around. Three and D wing is what they should prioritize, Cam. Above all else, the Celtics need some dudes who can punish offensively off the ball, who don't need a ton of dribble moves or who don't need the ball in their hands constantly to score and who can hit an open three to unclog what is at times the worst space offense in the entire league. Uh, It really does look like that. No, I think the big move that the Celtics should be looking for is a guy who can hit a three and also stay on the floor defensively. Because right now they have some guys who can hit threes, but they can't defend. And they have some guys who can defend, but they can't hit threes. The Celtics need a guy who can do both. To the suggestion earlier about Buddy Heald, I have long been a Buddy Heald fan. Uh, I would be pretty happy if the Celtics traded for him. Obviously, I don't want them to give up one of their core guys to do so but I think that he would fit really well with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That being said, I really do like that Brent Forbes suggestion. And I think if you're looking for kind of replicating that value while not paying quite the same premium that you would on a buddy healed, I think a Bryn Forbes type player would make a lot of sense for this team. Really just anybody who can shoot and also stay on the floor. I am happy with any kind of shooting at any position this team has so little of it that really even a stand in the corner shooter will help this team at least a little bit now that said if we could get other things there's a lot of debate over whether a pass first point guard is what the team needs I mean we do have one Marcus Smart but there's a lot of people who rightly point out that there are plenty of better pass first point guards out there now I know a lot of you are saying Marcus Smart's not a pass first point guard well when he's not he's not that great of a player when he is He's pretty good. So if you want to get another look at maybe someone else who can pass the ball, that is another potential target. Ideally, if you get someone who could also shoot to come combine to other potential, you know, needs that the Celtics have someone like a Delon Wright, maybe might be someone who's extraneous in Atlanta, someone not necessarily him. I know I've been, you know, lusting after him for quite some time now, but that's the kind of guy I'd really like to see them get as well as maybe some front court depth. You know, I, I think they're pretty much okay near the top of, of the rotation, but some front court depth uh, that is not Enos Cantor. Don't get me wrong. He has proven me considerably much more wrong than I expected him to with his play this season. But I mean, the defense is still a major issue for him and it's just never going to get better. So. All right, Justin, write this timestamp down because this is, this is going to drive YouTube crazy. These are the three okay. players that the Celtics should target for the following reasons. So they do need a point guard. Very, very bad. Uh, exceedingly bad and frustratingly so they need someone who can quarterback the game they also need shooting uh they have none of it and the players that can't shoot don't get enough playing time or they they have stopped being shooters and they do need front court depth because Ennis freedom's defense is not nearly as good as his rebounding which is not a worthy trade-off so here are the three players that the celtics should figure out how to get their hands on uh and i'll go backwards in terms of need number one Derek favors little expensive, doable. What is he doing in Oklahoma City? Number two, Rudy Gay. Uh, Would be, you'd probably have to give up something of a premium asset, but I bet you could do that for Richardson. Number three, almost impossible to happen, but I want to talk about it anyways, Goran Dragic. 
figure out how to get the front of the line when he's bought out. Although I don't know the Raptors. He hasn't played, right? I don't remember seeing him in any Yeah, I don't know why the Raptors wouldn't be playing him because they seem like they intend to win and that dude is a winner. Um, this Celtics team, I don't want to sound like the, the dudes on the radio, but like Goran Dragic is tough as nails and this Celtics team isn't. And he also plays point guard the way that I like point guards to play point guard. So those are the three things that Brad Stevens, if you're listening, put down the Miss Pac-Man and pick up the phone. Was I supposed to not like those? Because I like those. I like two of You're supposed to love those. <laughs> not a big Derek Favors guy, but that's just I mean, me. But yeah, I mean, he's a gettable guy and he, he fills a position of need. So yeah, Alex, just... that's fine. We can just keep Ennis Freedom then. Yeah, man. <laughs> There's two other guys that I just briefly want to mention. And I know that I have mentioned them on kind of previous pods, but I'm going to throw them in anyway. Uh, my man, Kyle Anderson. I don't know if he's available for Memphis, who's rolling right now. Holy crap. The Memphis Grizzlies are so good. Um, and you know, he's still, he still plays for them, albeit he is getting squeezed out of the rotation a little bit. Their front court is very stacked. So if for some reason, Kyle Anderson shakes loose, I would really like it for the Celtics to, uh, at least kick the tires and see what's going on. And then the other guy, uh, that this was actually just prompted by, um, their discussion of, uh, Rudy Gay is, if the Jazz decide that they would rather keep Rudy Gay, a guy that they could look into moving is Joe Ingles, who yep. I would also be pretty happy with the Celtics going after. I realize Ingles is not exactly the three and D mold. He's one of those. He's not both of those. Um, but Joe Ingles can hit an open shot. And Joe Ingles is just kind of mean, which I really like and I would enjoy having on this team. Yeah, McMahon had that nice trash talk piece that came out a few days ago and Jingles is fun. All right. So that's what we think the Celtics need, which is to say quite a few things. And as we've established, uh, we're not getting our hopes up that we're about to see fireworks for lots of reasons. But in order to, you know, look into our crystal ball, we have to know what the other teams are up to. There's 29 other teams that play in this league. And we have to know who maybe isn't open for business for making a trade like the Jazz, but maybe are going to sell, really just tear it down. And that's where maybe you could find some value. So we've identified teams that maybe for obvious reasons, maybe for sad reasons, maybe for stupid reasons, look like they might sell and flood the market with available talent in a way that even if the Celtics are feeling prudent, they could hop in. And I don't know how much of a standard bearer this is, but we can say that the reddish for Knox first round pick trade maybe is is a barometer for what hungry teams are looking to buy and what desperate teams are looking to sell. So whatever that for whatever that's worth, that's the, really the only trade of consequence that we have to talk about. So who wants to go first? Who's selling at the deadline? Let's start with the West. Out West, it's a pretty tight field. As it is in the East still, you know, there's not a lot of separation. There's not a lot of real obvious sellers. And that's because of the play-in tournament making things a lot more plausible that you can make a late season push and actually get into the postseason. So for me, I'm not 100% certain they're going to, but it seems pretty clear to me that the Portland Trailblazers are at least well-positioned. I got your team, didn't I? <laughs> You absolutely did, Justin. Once again, stepping on my toes, you took my team. Great minds think alike. (laughs) Fine. Go ahead. Well, given all the ground that they've lost, given that we have no idea when Dame's going to be back, 
given that they are top to bottom, not a particularly healthy team, and they're not a very good fit, it just seems like they need to take this season to weed out everything that isn't going to be helpful to them for a real playoff push in the future to try to see if they can salvage something with Lillard. Beyond that, uh, I don't see how they could realistically at the deadline improve the team enough with this uncertainty around Dame to make the team worth investing in. So if you're in that situation, it just, it seems logical to me that you really should just sell off all the assets you can to gear up for a real strong push next season when you're in a much better position to do so. The big question hanging over that that could screw it up is, is the lack of leadership at the top. It's real hard to do something like this when you don't even have an actual general manager. So that may be the one wrench to be throwing it. Um, I'm happy to jump in with my team, which I think is a likely seller at this point. And it's a familiar team to all of us. We just played against them yesterday. It's the New Orleans Pelicans who I think are not in a particularly good place right now. They are third place in the, uh, sorry, they're third to last in the Western Conference standings uh, at 16 and 28 uh, and really going nowhere fast. We have no idea what the deal is with Zion Williamson. Is he going to play this year? Who knows? Nobody knows. Um, and the Pelicans have some guys who I think could actually be pretty helpful to a number of different teams. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of, Josh Hart and Jonas Valanciunas, who are good players that are just kind of toiling away on a bad team. If the Pelicans are really serious about trying to build a good team around Zion Williamson before his contract is up, which is coming soon, folks, they really need to reshuffle the decks and position themselves to get some prime assets who can play with Zion. Uh, and I just don't know that Jonas and Josh Hart and all of these other dudes are necessarily going to help them achieve that right now, especially with Zion off the floor. The one name that I really think we should be watching and taking a look at, and that hardly anybody has been talking about over the kind of lead up to the trade deadline is Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram is a good player who I think could definitely help a lot of teams, particularly teams that are like right on the verge of being a high level playoff team, but just need one more guy. And yet I haven't seen his name in trade rumors anywhere. And I, I have to say, I don't think he's a particularly great fit with Zion Williamson. Brandon Ingram oh. is a guy who needs the ball a lot to be as his most productive self. And as we discovered last year, Zion Williamson actually makes the most sense as a kind of pseudo point guard who can run the break, a point Zion almost in the mold of like a more athletic Jokic. Um, and I think that at a certain point, the Pelicans are going to have to realize that that's not really a workable strategy for the kind of team that they want to construct. They should be looking to get some dudes who can really spread the floor and shoot and move off the ball. And I think they should be looking to get um, a point guard, who, uh, ironically, a point guard a lot like Drew Holiday, who can <laughs> kind of switch around and guard some of the best perimeter players on the other team. So I don't know that Brandon Ingram is necessarily the best long-term fit for this squad. And I, I'm pretty surprised that we're not hearing his name more as the trade deadline approaches. Yeah, the, the God bless the Pelicans. What a disaster. I, I, I suspect very much that you're right. And if if I'm right and dominoes start falling and uh, Valanciunas shakes loose, man, I hope 
he's put in a position to win because I love that that beautiful man. Uh, okay, my Western Conference team that needs to sell is the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, uh, it looks like no Kawhi, no Paul George this season. Although you never know, maybe they the team is around 500, which is good enough in the West. They're likely to make the play-in tournament if they stay the course. However, this year they have 169.4 million dollars in salary on the books, and next season they're slated to have 168. Uh, 0.4 million dollars in salary on the books now steve bomber very famously bought the clippers in cash he bought the form in cash i don't care about the luxury tax for the clippers that seems like a non-issue however actually repositioning the team when you have a lot of salary obligations can be really hard and i do think that the clippers would be smart to do kind of a stealth tank sell off some big pieces it's fine if they make the blind tournament or not but if they can open up their books a little bit for next season or pare down some of their bigger contracts into slightly more manageable chunks, that could be really interesting. So Eric Bledsoe makes 19.4. Marcus Morris makes 16.4. Those are big numbers that maybe you hold on to because uh, you want to use it to angle a big fish or maybe you get off your books to get a little bit of breathing room. So those could be really interesting. And then, uh, Reggie Jackson, or I guess uh, they're not going to trade Terrence Mann, but you know maybe if the right offer comes along. I think there are players on this roster that if the Clippers are feeling scrappy, they could consider you know like really flipping the switch a little bit because um, some of their salaries are quite imposing and some of their salaries are quite movable. I mean, I said in our chat, Justin Winslow, Justice Winslow tickles my fancy a little bit. So I think the Clippers will be sellers, whether it's big time sellers or piece by piece sellers. I don't know yet, but I can't imagine, especially given today's news, that this this Clippers roster sticks around much longer. I want to add to we've mentioned it before, but Eric Bledsoe has only a four million dollar roughly guarantee on his season next season salary. So for a team that's looking to clear the books in the future, he could be a particularly valuable trade asset for that reason. Oh, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. I was reading next year's salaries for Bledsoe and Morris, but they're roughly the same numbers, but good to know. Yeah, non-guaranteed for the next year. All right, uh, to the Eastern Conference. Justin, you want to go? So this might piss a lot of people off, but I think the Celtics should be sellers. Yeah, what the hell? That's not the, that's not the game. <laughs> no, I know. I know it's not, but I think they should. And, and hear me out. I don't want to watch a terrible team. I know you don't want to watch a terrible team, but what I do want to watch is a title contention team right and they don't have the premium assets right and if you combine enough assets sometimes you can convince a team that that's still good enough I mean we've seen some of the um everything but the kitchen sink deals for like James Harden to the Brooklyn Nets for an example of that kind of a thing but the Boston doesn't even really have something that's all that great for something like that so in my mind sell off all the veterans get under the tax if you can, that's great, whatever. But the primary goal should be going into the tax to take on bad contracts over a year. Anything you can do to, to generate some first round picks, even if they're bad first round picks, because the Celtics first round picks are going to be bad to mediocre first round picks at very, very best. And that's to me, the only way you're going to get yourself in a position to move the franchise to where you want it to go, given what the team has. So I'll just point out, and then uh, we'll swing to Alex, that Portland second round pick that the Celtics picked up, 
start to look pretty good. There's a chance for that's a valuable second round pick. Sorry, but yeah, otherwise they don't really have draft capital. Uh, Alex, your Eastern Conference seller. Well, it's a team that has been quite familiar with draft capital conversations over recent years. I'm looking at the Detroit Pistons, who are near the bottom of the Eastern Conference at 10 and 32, despite having some pretty intriguing young players. Uh, Obviously, Kate Cunningham is the big name, but, you know, um, Isaiah Stewart, I think, is a really interesting young player. Sadiq Bey as well. I think both of those guys can potentially be really strong NBA basketball players in the immediate to somewhat near future. Um, and so I think that for the Pistons, and I know that you know they haven't fielded a competitive team in a while, so it's probably not exactly thrilling to Pistons fans to hear this. But uh, I do think that they have some fat that they can kind of trim around the edges of their roster since they're clearly not going anywhere this year. Um, That can ultimately help them to be in a position to build around their young core a little bit more effectively. Jeremy Grant is the big one. A lot of teams have been inquiring about his services and uh, he's on a pretty good deal. He's a good player. He clearly is a guy who, you know, Zach Lowe has kind of mentioned this a couple of times. He's a guy who is probably too good for, um, you know, being a uh, just role player, but not quite good enough to be a high-end franchise cornerstone star. Um, And I think there's a lot of teams that could use him as, you know, in some ways he's kind of like uh, the the prototype that Mikhail Bridges ultimately became. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of teams could use that. So I'm keeping my eye on the Pistons who I think have a nice combination of guys that they could move. I also think Kelly Olenek is a guy who could be on the move. Kelly can still shoot. Uh, he still runs around and does Kelly Olenek things. Uh, and, you know, I think that they, they have some players if they really want to get crazy, you know, I know that they just drafted this guy, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm still a believer in Killian Hayes. I don't necessarily know that he's going to be the guy who makes the most sense in Detroit, particularly as Cade increasingly takes over ball handling duties there, but the Pistons could be kind of frisky and they could particularly position themselves well to have uh, some nice ammo heading into the draft this year, where they will certainly be at the near top of the lottery. Uh, My seller is the Nets. They should sell Kyrie Irving because that dude is a menace. Uh, No, I have a real answer, but before I give my real answer, I want to ask our humble listeners who are if they are still listening to go to iTunes or Spotify and rate and subscribe to this podcast, it would make a big, big difference to us. And also I want to thank our sponsor, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to get a little bonus if you sign up. Okay. (laughs) And what a weight that was worth because here's my team, the Orlando Magic. Whoa. Uh, The Orlando Magic have some frisky players and they're going nowhere fast. Gary Harris is on an expiring contract. It's an expensive $21 million contract, but I like Gary Harris. You could really talk yourself into Terrence Ross, Mobamba. Uh, Timothy Mozgov is still on their books at five and a half million. So that's pretty crazy to me, but I don't think you should trade for that. Robin Lopez, if he's not traded, I'm sure he will be bought out. He should be playing somewhere that's not Disney World, even though he has a property in, in Disney. Um, so yeah, there's a few players on the Magic team. Yes, they have some fun players like uh, Mo Wagner and oh, and each one more. Please, someone rescue each one more. But yeah, the, the Magic have some frisky players. Maybe they can turn it around in a season or two, but they're going nowhere fast. And while I'm riffing, the DeVos family, screw you. I hate you so much. 
and I hope bad things happen to you for the rest of your lives. Um, but I also hope that you wisely sell off some of your assets at the trade deadline. So the seller from the East that I am uh, looking at is the magic. Anything we missed? All right, DeVos family, you heard it here first. Not a fan of you. Uh, thanks everyone else for listening. And please, please like and subscribe. It goes a long way. See you next week.